Welcome to the Overnight Scape Central, and Frank asked for an episode that begins with the letter X as a topic. We're going to hit all 26 letters, at the very least, before we put this baby to bed. And that, that may not happen. We'll, we'll just play everything by ear, and as long as contributions come in one way or another, I will get these programs produced and uh, commentated and on out to you because that this is that when things go i mean this week we have once again chad bowers and doc slees in the house along with frank and that makes for a tight show i mean a little bit well not chad isn't predictable and nor really is doc slees in any way shape or form the good doctor always manages to have some interesting takes and we have an interesting topic this week because what begins with X? I mean, uh, I was thinking about xenophobia or something like that. But the X factor, that thing that affects all of our lives, that little when you're making plans, when you're anticipating, or even if you're looking back at the past and uh, uh, trying to understand exactly what happened in an incident in one's personal life, in an incident in pop culture. There are these little tiny happenstances that make the universe magical and also make things come and go. So, yeah, the X factor is what we are at this week at the Overnightscape Central. And welcome, and thank you for listening. It does my heart such good. And I, as the appreciator, although, uh, well, we have a special show, it looks like, coming up this week. But the regular appreciators, I've just been slacking, lacking some sort of inspiration. I'm not sure which, but the show will continue in its own, as with all of the programs I do aside from this one. It's one week there'll be a bunch, and then there won't be some, and then there'll be a little. I'm all over the place with my creativity as ever. It's just, it's just my autism spectrum. Oh yes, the big spectrum. Um, let's deal with the task at hand. I'm starting to lose my thread, as you may be able to tell. We've got the X factor and. First up, we are going to listen to Doc Slees and uh, what he has to say. So if I wanted to uh, engage in hyperbole, I could say that um, um, the X factor was the worst thing to happen either to British TV or British popular music <laughs> in the last 20 years. Um but that would be hyperbolic because, trust me, there's so many other far worse things than a, than a bloody fast talent contest um, on British television. These are nailing British TV these days and British popular music. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm not the target audience for it anymore. So, you know. Um, my opinions probably don't count for much, but 
hey, it, 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 it is, however, symptomatic of the way things have moved. I mean, popular music, to a large extent, has always been a product, something that has been manufactured. There have always been manufactured bands and artists um, who have all their material, their, their image, their material, the whole lot created for them by um, management companies. It just it feels like it's reached endemic proportions now. <laughs> so it's really only fitting that um, Simon Cowell should come up with this um, television show, The X Factor, now defunct in the UK, thankfully. Um, but I believe that he's restarting in the US. Which basically, that's what it was about. It was posed as a talent contest. And what it was about was Pat taking these wannabes and hopefuls and packaging the ones who weren't totally hopeless and putting them out there and hoping they became successes. It is also a monument. The the TV series was, was and is in the US a monument to the ego of... um, Simon Cowell, who was just another uh, music producer who was a judge on another t- similar talent series called Pop Stars in the UK. and um, But he didn't have full creative control over that, so he created The X Factor and sold it to ITV to basically replace Pop Stars. It's called Pop Stars, I believe it was. Um, yeah. The irony about the X Factor is, though, I mean, because I'm, 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 I'm trying very hard to actually remember any winners of the X Factor who have gone on to lasting success in the music business. And... Um, It's very difficult. I mean, there was the girl band Little Mix had some success for a while, but they split up now. But they sort of felt like a third generation, fourth, fifth generation, even photocopy of um, uh, of Girls Allowed, another manufactured band created via one of these contests, and um, who were themselves like a third generation photocopy of the Spice Girls who in turn were a manufactured band, but somewhat better than the others because they they had the advantage of being relatively original at the time. They were um, uh, effectively of the modern era, the first girl band. So they had that advantage. And there's some very catchy tunes. (laughs) And they appeared to have personalities, which helped. They weren't necessarily great singers, but they, you know, they had character, their personality. But getting back to the X Factor, as I say, the irony is is that the winners of it, and all the others who come out through it, the ones who didn't win but were runners up, came third or whatever, who got careers off the back of it, or got record deals off the back of it, generally lacked that very thing the show is named after, the X Factor. That thing, that undefinable thing that makes some acts great 
and marks them out for lasting success. Because it's easy, because the whole model of the X factors here in the UK was it ran in the autumn into win, into early winter, and the idea was the winner would then cut a single, which would use the momentum of the winning the show to get the Christmas number one in this country, which gets lots of publicity. And that's relatively straightforward to do that when you've got the momentum of this show and of Simon Cowell's record com company, record label behind it and all the publicity machine and everything. But to achieve success beyond that, that lasting success has rather eluded most of them. And I will say as a side note, it's one of the reasons I'm glad the X Factor is now defunct, because perhaps it will, it will mean, I'm, I'm, I'm continuously hoping it means we'll go back to the good old days when the Christmas number one was always some out of left field novelty song. <laughs> or occasionally something rather wonderful, like uh, from the 70s, like Slade's um, Merry Christmas Everyone. Or wizard, I wish it could be Christmas every day. It's that sort of thing. You know, that's what we want as a Christmas number one. Something uplifting. Something enjoyable. Something that isn't... That, well, that, that, that um, is, is selling records, but doesn't feel as if it's just intended to sell records. You know, if you see what I mean. Sounds like they're having fun and it's just fun to listen to. Um... But yeah, but they lack these. They, they, they lack that X factor, um, and it's difficult to put your finger on what that X factor actually is. Because after all, um, as I've noted before, as of other people, it's not an original thought. If we could identify what it was, then you know, uh, record producers would have a never-ending um, stream of star acts singers you know, with, you know um, singers would have a never-ending supply of great songs which went to number one because they'd see the x factor in songwriters and producers and whatever movie studios would put out nothing but hits because it's the same thing with films any form of media it's that, some things have that something about them Makes them that cult, that lasting success. A blockbuster that still is watched decades down the line. Still generates spin-offs, generate, you know, decades down the line, you know, Star Wars or whatever. But we can't. Nobody does know what that is. Nobody, this is the thing, it's indefinable. You never know whether something is or isn't going to be an act, uh, uh, a huge hit. Occasionally, you'll see it. You'll see that thing. Back to the Spice Girls. I remember seeing the, their video the very first time it was ever played on UK TV. In fact, the first time I think it was played on TV anywhere. It was in, I mean, back in the old days, ITV in their, their, their late night slot after midnight used to show these weird and wonderful programs that showed all sorts of weirds anyway and, and one of them i was watching one one night i probably come home from the pub and it was um i couldn't be bothered to change channels and it was showcasing 
new videos, new music videos, and this this and the Spice Girls came on. It's the first time it'd been shown. Um, but the funny thing is, watching that, I thought at the time watching it, I thought that's going to be a hit. I mean, you know, I'm no expert on popular music, but it's just that's going to be a hit because it's a really catchy song. And more than that, they're going to be a hit, you know, because, you know, one, they're, they're, they're attractive young women bouncing all over the place in this video, um, showing a fair amount of flesh. But beyond that, as I say, it came back to the personality, the character came through. They looked like they were having a lot of fun and that came through and they just had that something they appeared they looked like they were fun and it was a really catchy tune and you know they pulled it off quite well i thought you know in that video it's you know being around this is the first the first video for their first single um but other groups other attempts at like girl bands or boy bands you know they just sink without trace I remember there's a plethora of boy bands that went in the wake of, of successes like Take That and uh, Boy Zone and whatever. And most of them just, they might manage one or two hits. Yeah, which would chart up in the top 10 if they were lucky. And then they'd fade away, they'd break up, whatever. The record, the record companies would realise that they just weren't going to make it. And they get dropped and whatever. I remember there's a boy band called Upside Down, um, which underwent, I believe, two complete a complete lineup change before they'd even released a record. Uh, <laughs> you know, the original lineup presented to the press wasn't the lineup in the end that released the first single that that then vanished without trace. I mean, it may seem obvious sometimes when you see an act, and especially when they're established, you think, yeah, it's obvious. They've just got that thing, that X factor. You know, um, Tom Jones, the god, the sex god that is Tom Jones, sex god of the valleys. Bloody hell, you know, Tom Jones. Uh, <laughs> he was a byword for manhood and masculinity in the early 70s when I was a kid, you know. I remember doing this Easter TV Easter special where he's he's on this yacht clad only in a pair of speedos and a captain's cap, <laughs> belting out. I can't remember what the number was. He's belting out this song. <laughs> I mean, you know, you looked at that and you thought, especially as a young young fellow, you thought, gee, I can't. I might as well. I might. Do you know something? I might as well look into being gay because, you know, I can't compete with that. You know, <laughs> um, he was the epitome of manliness at that time. Anyway, the point about Tom Jones is you listen to him and that voice. He's got the voice. He's got he had the look. He had the voice, the moves, had the uh, the personality. There was that roguishness that came through. But it's easy to forget that a record execs originally with him completely mishandled him. And that obviously it wasn't entirely obvious that he had the X factor. People forget that his very first single, I don't remember the title, it's sort of like Shiver and Shake. Um, 
sank without virtue without tra- I mean it did very very poorly in the charts um, I certainly didn't get anywhere near the top 10 and um, because it was unsuitable material because there's lots of things come into this X factor even if someone's got it you still got to match them up with the right material and present them the right way and it just wasn't right for him for his persona it wasn't right for his voice anyway the record company they had him under contract this particular record and they didn't know what to do with him after that and so they 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 had him recording demos which should then be played to other artists they had on their roster for them to decide whether they wanted um to release their own version of this song anyway and of course he recorded it's not unusual as a demo and every artist who heard it just said to the record company executives well look why don't you just release this with this guy singing it because he's bloody superb because i'm not unusual so suited his voice um his performance of it is is you know fantastic and um and when he performed live obviously it just suited that persona he he projected that masculinity that roguish you know it really you know it all came together and helped him showcase the fact that he had it the x factor and the rest as they say is history but it just shows it's not easy to spot this you know even seasoned record executives who've been in the business for years and people and whatever they get it wrong they mishandle even when there's real talent they mishandle it and unfortunately they spend a lot of time desperately trying to promote people who undoubtedly have talent but they don't have that extra thing that's going to carry them over the line and make them that lasting success and it's so difficult to know and lots of factors come into it a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time you 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 have with your particular talent what people are looking for at that particular time they're looking for something different something new um a new spin on and this is true not just of singers it's true in cinema mentioned star wars for again everybody is the story 20th century fox had no faith in star wars when it was released um they thought their big hit that summer was going to be that sydney sheldon adaptation the other side of midnight and um basically had to force a lot of cinemas in the states cinema chains to book star wars and basically said basically you can only book it if you also you know will let you book the other side of midnight which you wanted if you'll also book this other film for x number of which showings and of course we all know what happened star wars was a hit because it appealed um to a certain age group of people like me well i was uh, when when it come, yeah i was 13 going on 14 i was actually i saw my 14th birthday um it it you know we were an age group who um we were looking for something different we 
being brought up reading science fiction, watching science fiction on TV, watching science fiction movies eagerly when they appeared. And But we wanted something more than the kind of serious science fiction. We wanted action, we wanted excitement. And that delivered it. There is a willing audience out there just waiting for it to be released. Similarly, a few years later, of course, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, became this huge hit. Again, because we've been through the science fiction, big budget science fiction movies, um, which people lapped up in the wake of Star Wars. But Indiana Jones, he offered it offered something slightly different. It had all the excitement, all the action, and like Star Wars, drew its inspiration from old cinema serials. But he just did it slightly differently. He threw Nazis in. You know, <laughs> it seemed ostensibly realistic, except when it had a lurch at the end into pure fantasy and, um, and horror, which was fine. It worked. And they repeated the formula a couple more times. Successfully. And then, of course, someone had the idea of, of, well, let's do another one, you know. We'll set it in the 50s. We'll have communists instead of Nazis. And, uh, but we'll have, Indi we'll have an older Indiana Jones and whatever. And so we got Crystal Skull. Which disappointed because it varied the formula. And the times had moved on. But it still made money. And so then we got. Earlier this year, somebody thought, surefire hit, because we've had three really big hit films in this franchise. Another one. It was okay. Did okay. You know. Um, so we'll do another one. Do one last one. And we get the Dial of Destiny. This time, we'll bring the Nazis back. People didn't like the commies. We'll have the Nazis. It's villains. Yeah, we'll give it. Here's the twist. You know, we'll have old Indiana Jones. But it'll still have a period setting for most of the audience. So 1969, which for most of the audience is going to be like a period, a period setting as long ago to them as the Nazis seemed <laughs> when I was a kid watching this film, watching your first film. And, of course, we all know it's, it, it was a major, major box office disappointment was the Dial of Destiny. Now, after come to, I recently saw it via a dodgy streaming service I have access to. Um, and I have to say, actually, I thought it was far better than The Crystal Skull. And for what it was, it was enjoyable enough. It was nowhere near as good as the first one or the third one, because those two being the best in the series. But that was the problem. It went back to them and it was like a greatest hits in many ways of, of previous Indiana Jones films. And um, it had the formula, it had all the elements. But unfortunately, times have moved on and it no longer had that X factor that modern audiences demand. You know, it didn't appeal the modern audience and i think also there's probably an element that a lot of audiences don't like seeing their action heroes being of pensionable age personally that's one of the things i liked about it i like to see I, I thought it was great seeing an action hero kicking ass beating up Nazi, and he's older than i am even brilliant <laughs> seriously
hey, enough of this ageism. Us old dudes, we need our heroes too. Not that I think I am old, but there you go. Other people do. But yeah, it missed the mark because it no longer, you know, the, the X factor that had made that formula a great sex hit back in 1982 or whenever has gone. You know, it's because cinema audiences have moved on. You know, we we uh, since then we've had superheroes for a lot, but see that's losing its its sheen at the box office. Superhero movies are finding it much more more difficult to make money at the box office because we've been inundated with them. After a while, they all feel and look the same. I know I've 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 watched quite a few of those recently, thanks to dodgy streaming services. And after a while. Um, you just think, Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> you know, there is so little variation here. It's, the formula is always the same, you know. What seemed fresh in you a couple of years ago, it's, you know, now it's all the same. The CGI and God, you know, it's all the same. But yeah, but of course, they keep turning out those superhero movies. Because the previous ones have been successes, therefore they well, we'll try again. Surefire success. As they thought with Indiana Jones. Even at this distance in time for the original. Hey, it's a surefire success. The others were successful. But it doesn't work. That X factor doesn't work like that. Because as I say, it, it's very, very specific. It can be to particular times and particular audiences. So, but sometimes there are certain acts, certain films, certain TV series which retain that that something about them that makes people that, that retains an audience and maintains they, they maintains an uh, an interest for audiences over time for change, just for changing audiences. You know, Tom Jones is still going strong. And he is, of course, ironically, of course, a judge on, on the UK version of The Voice. He may be on the US one. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, but he's adapted his style over the years. I mean, at one point in the late 70s, early 80s, he was very much a, become a parody of his former image. And his manager, who was also his son, uh, did say to him, apparently that was his advice, you've got to get it back to being about the voice because that's your your X factor, your unique selling point then is that voice. And you've got to bring the focus back to that, which is what Tom Jones did. He varied his musical output and the kind of um, music he put out. But it always, but he, he, his material was well chosen to always, always showcase that voice, that vocal ability. But yeah, so yeah, it's this elusive thing, the X Factor. But coming back to that Simon Cowell show, the X Factor. 
my fundamental objection to is the same I have to any form of talent show or any kind of um, framework, competitive framework for artistic enterprise. Um, because you can't, you're not comparing like with like when you get different artists, different artistic endeavors to compete with each other. You know, um, there is no one set of criteria you can judge art by in any way. I mean, getting back to the X factor, that X factor, whatever it is, can vary according to the film, the artist, whoever, and to the individualist of why they like it. You know, you might like a film because it has non extremely well executed nonstop action or it has great cinematography or it connects with you intellectually as a great it makes you think it throws out great ideas it has a intricate and well executed plot it has superb film performances from the actors maybe some combination of those things but each one is different and the reasons you like i mean i there are lots of films i i like and enjoy all of them for different reasons you know and i can't compare like with like and say i like one more than the other necessarily there's some films that are out of crap, you know, um, even some of those I like because they still have something about them. Some indefinable X factor about them that makes them quite likable still. And it's the same, the same. If you look at the X factor singing acts, you know, musical acts, you might like a musical. Act. You might it might have the X factor. The X factor it has for you personally might be. Because, you know, they have a, you like listening to the fantastic voice of the performer. Um, it makes, it might have some about the song they sing and the way they perform, it makes some emotional connection with you. Um, you may like, uh, because it has some fantastic um, guitar riffing in it, which, you know, showcases the skill of the lead guitarist, you know. Or, or, you know, or whatever. Um, again, some combination of these factors. But it's different from artist to artist, from song to song, and to try and compare them, just what you're trying to do with a talent contest. And to come up with one that's the winner that you think is going to be more successful with a mass audience than any of the others is... An impossible task. You're on a hiding to nothing. Um, because, of course, what they're also looking at, they're, they're trying also to second guess what's the commercial viability of these artists we have competing against each other in this contest. But again, you just can't tell. You know, I remember, I think it was series two of pop stars going back to that previous series Simon Cowell was on Pete Waterman was another of the judges and I think it was series two the winner was this Scottish girl who basically he 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 on the last show when she won he sort of basically walked away and uh, because she wasn't some slim svelte sexy looking girl she's got a, a robustly built to put it to be polite 
um, robustly built young with, with a great voice, you know. And his point was that she just wasn't commercially viable because Pete Waterman is, you know, very successful record producer in the commercial sphere. You know, he he has many, he's put out there plenty of acts who've been big commercial successes. And so to him, there's a formula you need. And one of it is the way the artist looks. You got to be able to sell them. And very unfairly, there's a perception that female singing artists to be commercially successful pop yeah, in the pop arena have to be these skinny girls. <laughs> uh, preferably skinny with lots of cleavage or whatever. You know, you know what I mean. It's quite unfair and quite wrong and very sexist. But sadly, that's the way certainly then it was viewed. Now, as it happened, she wasn't a commercial success, but I think that had less to do with the looks than, than, than had to do with the fact that while well, she had a good voice, I don't think she was ever matched up with decent material. And really, they didn't know how to handle her after that. You know, there was a market for her out there, but they failed. But yeah, it's second guessing this commercial viability, you know, let's face it, you know, the, the, until they went to, uh, saw, saw George Martin, most uh, record producers didn't think the Beatles had any commercial viability. You know, record company after record company passed on them and producer after producer passed on them. But boy, were they wrong, you know. And yet, as I've said before, the other acts they think are commercial could be commercial. They flog them and flog them, but they never really become sizable successes who have legs and last. Because, as I say, getting back to identifying the X factor is something that sadly the X factor, like all the rest of us, isn't very good at doing because it's just indefinable. So there you go. Um, another last minute ramble from me. Uh, does it have the X factor? I very much doubt that. And on that note, I'm going to say back to you, PQ. Oh, Doc, you have the ultimate X factor. That was uh, fascinating. And you took the concept, worked with it. I mean, the whole rant on Indiana Jones, I'm right there with you. Um, I, A lot of people were just so seemingly upset and distraught over that new Indiana Jones and I finally got to see it and I found it quite entertaining yay went back to the Nazis but the Nazis are a great stock villain and everybody forgets these films are supposed to be that Saturday matinee junk adventure cliffhanger type of thing and they carried that part of the film off quite well and yeah, uh, being a, I'll admit it. You, you're, are you younger than me? I'm not sure, but I'm an old geezer, and seeing another old guy being a hero, that's that was just good for my overall ego. At this point, where I am suddenly realizing I am an old guy, I always thought of myself as kind of a young old guy, but even that, I guess, eventually wears out. And the, the Simon Cow, all of these talent 
contests, which is basically what they are, and they are a staple of television these days. Um, yeah, nobody, but nobody becomes that big a star anymore like they used to. I mean, that we will never see another Elvis. I would doubt we're going to see another Beatles. And the Elvis, as big as he was, was no Frank Sinatra. And somebody like Bing Crosby, yes, you can knock him, but that guy was a star from the late 1920s into the 1970s. He was always popping up somewhere, and we don't get those big 50-year stars, it seems, anymore. And when we do, I don't know, it, the tastes that change, which happens more and more often, is another thing. So yes, the X factor involves, nowadays, finding that gimmick and the Christmas hits. That really, I mean, every year there used to be this great Christmas song, or once in a while they'd bring back an old one. And yeah, um, Roy Woods, I wish there could be Christmas every day. We, that was never a hit over here. I really love that kind of stuff. And now, I don't know, has there been even a vaguely big and popular holiday song? I, I In the United States, not that I know of. I'm not sure over in the UK. I know they bring back the perennials, and they re-release them, and they sell. But nobody, maybe we're all Christmased out. And nowadays, of course, it may not be politically correct. It's this season... And uh, so many, I mean, let's face it, when I was a kid, Hanukkah was this exotic holiday that in certain parts of the country nobody knew or acknowledged because to just, I mean, how many, what percentage of the people in the United States are active practicing Jewish people for that matter? But now we're really digressing, which is what this show is all about. But now, if you do a quote-unquote December-January holiday song, if you don't acknowledge everybody, they're, they're going to come get you. That's definitely what's going to happen, my friend. And finding success. Yeah. And uh, yes, I, too, am not the target audience for any of this because more and more I mean, it always was to a certain degree the people who actually buy records, CDs, or now uh, pay for music on iTunes tend to be the younger people. I don't know, from the age of 10 or 11 up to the early 20s is when people get really excited about music to the point where they're willing to actually pay out for specific things and now it's like you buy songs i'm not even sure how it works because i'm one of those people who I, I between youtube and spotify i can find everything so i'm not going out really and picking and buying anything i can't remember the last bit of old or new media that i singled out you know even when the recently uh, a shop 
uh, in town had this collection of CDs so cheap, they must have bought somebody's estate of somebody who had everything. And I mean everything. I was looking at it thinking, oh man, even 10 years ago, I would not have been able to walk by this display without picking out and spending money that I really shouldn't have. And that was a lot of my youth. I find it amazing when I think back uh, how much of my quote-unquote hard-earned money went to Tower Records or Bleaker Bobs or the Golden Disc. There were all these places. And yeah, it was the X Factor. Um, At first, I wasn't sure about that new music of the early 80s, that punk rock and new wave and it just bit me and i became this fanatic about it uh, especially the band xtc as i recall they were like the greatest things since sliced bread to me well into the late 80s that whole 80s late 70s era they were my favorite band and they're still a perennial favorite when i listen to music I don't know, when you're young was the point I was making. That's when you have this incredible passion for artists and their work. I mean, David Bowie. Um, yeah, he was, is in that list, although, let's see, Bowie was really big from the 70s into the 2010s, so he almost made it 40 years. And Prince, I don't know how big he was towards the end. I mean, he had gained this big name recognition, but I don't think he was getting the hits he was getting, like around when the 1999 album came out. That was just so huge in its day. And yeah, it gave him this momentum that carried him onward. But we don't get people like, I say, the Beatles and Elvis, who had that amazing X factor. I mean, Elvis, the guy opened his mouth and this beautiful voice came out, even when he was not in good shape towards the end. That man had this charisma and singing ability that was incomparable. Anyways, um, next up, we have the unpredictable and always entertaining, often absurd, often profound Chad Bowers to uh, entertain us. And, um, Doc, Doc, do not underestimate your power there because you held me raptly listening for the full extent of your monologue. And, of course, we got Frank Edward Nora coming up, so you don't want to just bail out at this point. Hang in there. Let's listen together. The X Factor of Legos would have to be the bumpy dots on top of them and the clutch power they give you holding those blocks together. The dimensional stability of Legos. You could build a wall with Legos and build another wall the same size, build two more of them, put them all together, and you'd have a perfect box. Very stable, secure, almost infinitely reusable. That's Lego's X-Factor. How about Jell-O? Dessert? 
often served in hospitals and cafeterias. Why do you think that is? The X factor in Jello is the slurp ability. You can slurp Jello and it's translucent in color. You can even get clear Jello. You can find it. I like the uh, X factor of Tidy Bowl toilet cleaner. That little man in the boat rides around in the bowl. That's an X factor. No other toilet cleaner gives you that functionality. There's some that have micro bubbles, rotating scrubbers underneath them, mushroom heads, like a white cloud with eyes. These are X factors that'll help you keep your house clean. The Boeing 747 had a wonderful little hump bump right up on top of it. It's a lounge, a bar, a disco, a place to lay down and sleep. It was, uh, it was the dream of a better tomorrow is what it was. That along with the size of the plane, the widths of the interior cabin, the X factor was the fact that it was just the best. It was the top. It was jet travel with luxury living, and the world was at your door, open to you. It was a dream. Now, Pop-Tarts, on the other hand, um, for me, the cinnamon-flavored Pop-Tarts and the blueberry Pop-Tarts and the strawberry Pop-Tarts are the best. Uh, there's been some flavors recently that I imagine will be temporary, but they too are worth eating. The Boston Cream Cake, the uh, the maple-flavored syrup, those are good. That's something you just can't get in the store brand pastry, toaster pastry. You can't get those special flavors of... Um, town such as Boston, Nebraska, any of that, it's all just slightly out of your reach. But that's the cost of living with the store brand. Now, it had one thing going for it, which was the price. The price was nice. One thing about playing Pac-Man, which uh, I thought was Pac-Van when I first saw the game. I thought that you were driving a yellow van around and you were being chased by ghosts. And the pellets were just the middle of the road. They were the little dots in the road. And I just must have read it wrong. This would have been whenever it came out at a putt-putt uh, party. A friend was having a putt-putt miniature golf party. In the United States, putt-putt was a brand of miniature golf that just like you would go to a bowling alley or you would go to a roller rink, you could go to a putt-putt miniature golf. Then there you would try to hit the ball in the hole and go through obstacles and they had video games inside. 
A birthday party there would have soda and cake as well. Probably finish it off by going back to their house. And and in this case, we did. And uh, that may have been the first time I ever saw the game Enduro by Activision for the Atari 2600. The day changing to night, the, uh, the car's taillights glowing in the dark of night, the fog, the gray fog. This, this colorful, well-playing, smooth game, that was the X-Factor Activision brought to the table. They were dynamically bright-colored very smooth gameplay. No problems. It all made sense. Yeah, you know, if you had an Activision title, you had something there that was going to be special. It made it worthwhile, you know, something to seek out. It's, it's like these shirts I like. I like these Orvis shirts. And one of the nice things they do is that right in the front, where the two halves of the shirt button together. Underneath, they've got some liner, but it's a special material designed to clean your glasses. It's just a wonderful extra feature. The pocket's got a little place to put your glasses in and hold them. The buttons are this neat-looking metal. They've got kind of a plastic resin over them, The way they sewed them on, the name is in the same place on every one of them. They were careful how they sewed them on, you know. It's the little things, but that's the X factor, you know. Why is this shirt worth $100, whereas another shirt might be worth $30? Speaking of shirts, I was looking looking for some shirts, and I got some t-shirts from L.L. Bean recently. And so I thought I would take a look, see what was up with them as far as their, uh, you know, polo-type shirts. And they just looked unchanged. Oh. To the extent they just looked like a, a polo shirt you might find in a Kmart in 1990. So I knew I had to go elsewhere. I was looking for some elusive feeling or some special feature in the shirt. I need special features. I need a a collar that's not going to wrinkle. I need buttons that are sewn on straight. These are all those elusive little extras that, uh, that make something worthwhile to you. Yeah, Pac-Van was uh, fantastic. The sirens going on. I thought that was police chasing me. I thought that a police car was going to come out at any moment and just wreck into me. You know, in asteroids, you're minding your own business and you're playing on the screen and you've gained mastery over the asteroids on the screen. Now you're just rotating and firing, picking off the remaining little ones having a good old time, flying around, just using the momentum, just using that thrust along with turning. Turning, give it some thrust the other way. It's a physics playhouse. 
That's a lot of fun you can have, just flying around that screen, you know, wrapping off one side, coming back on the other. It's a type of reality I enjoy. That idea that you can go off the right of the screen and immediately come back on the left. Or you can go off the top and immediately come up through the bottom. Makes perfect sense once you're playing. But they're sneaky. They don't want you just sitting there enjoying all this, so... They'll send one of those aliens out after you. A little UFO will come out. And he's actually tracking you. He's trying to get close to you, and he's trying to fire at you. So you better keep moving, and you better take him out quick. He kind of keeps you from lollygagging around and just enjoying the, the physics of that wraparound reality flying all over the place. Well, I figured Pac-Man was the same way. You're driving around this town in your van. There's these ghosts that are chasing you. And uh, every once in a while, you can eat this power pellet, and now you're chasing them. So, a really innovative game of chase. But for a little while on the playground and whatnot, asking people if they'd play that new video game where you're driving this van around, and there's all these ghosts. And well, I figured out finally it was Pac-Man, and uh, you know I had a chance to play it again. It wasn't too much longer that they had put one in the Village Inn Pizza. At a pizza buffet we would go to. Now, it was not the best pizza in the world, but it was pretty dang good, and it was a heck of a lot above average. But the X factor was that you could have all you wanted, all you can eat. In fact, the drinks were also all you can drink. And that wasn't normal back then. That was a new invention. The uh, business model and dynamics of all-you-can-eat was a new thing in the 80s. That was, to my mind, a new thing. And it was an advantage, particularly if you had a couple hungry boys that would eat a dozen slices of pizza if you gave them the opportunity. They'd drink three Coca-Colas. You can't be paying for individual Coca-Colas. It would put you in the poorhouse of the old restaurants back before the Pizza Inn, Pizza Free, Revolution, Eat All You Want buffet scenario. This wasn't how uh, pizza was consumed. Uh, you'd have to show up at a pizza hut, stake your place at a table, Get an order in, wait for your drinks, then they'd bring a salad, and about 35 minutes later, they would bring you a hot pizza. And after you ate that pizza, if you wanted another one, it was going to be a hell of a long wait, so you really just had to go. It was time to pack it up and go. Of course, the long wait for the pizza was not so bad if you were a kid. One of the special qualities and special factors of a restaurant like that back then was that your parents could sit at the table and eat their salad like a civilized human being, like a gentleman would. Rupert. Yes, sir, like a gentleman. And they would enjoy themselves. Perhaps they have some time to talk to one another and say things like, man, those boys are... They about caught the house on fire the other day. I caught them winding wire around a magnet, and then they plugged both ends of it into the uh, outlet. They said they were trying to make an electromagnet. 
boy, did they ever. They uh, blew out a gasp of black smoke that left black stains on the uh, electrical outlet in the room. Smelled horrible. They had the window open when I came in and a fan blowing it out. You could tell something had happened. Like the time they took their telescope apart. Got on that great telescope for looking at the moon and even had the little uh, filter that would protect your eyes because the moon is so bright. And another filter that would protect your eyes from the sun if you wanted to shine the whole mirror capacity of that telescope right at the sun. This filter, you could put it in there and safely observe the sunspots. After a while... You realize that, like, the Pleiades, as beautiful as they are on a clear night when viewed through the telescope, per- still pretty much looked uh, like a dot of white light. In fact, you weren't going to see anybody shopping or cutting their grass or, uh, you know, building alien constructions. You were really just going to see white dots of slightly different sizes. So I guess we got bored with it, and we decided that with the optics inside of this thing, surely we could take a 100-watt, 120-watt light bulb, put it in one end, and then focus all these optics. But they were all held together in metal things, and so we had to disassemble the entire unit and get all the glass work out, position them inside, and use tape, duct tape, to hold them in place. We ruined the telescope. It never did go back together, right? The sad part of it is is that the laser never works, see? Bright light and optics, regardless of how good, are never going to get you a laser. That's not what a laser is at all. Very coherent light. That's the X factor of a laser. A laser is very coherent light. Don't you forget it. Don't you go sacrificing a telescope trying to build a laser. Even though you saw it almost take apart James Bond on that table, it's not going to do it in person. His car, his Alpha, excuse me, he would not drive a piece of shit Alfa Romeo. Uh, Sexy as they are, you know. Now, perhaps if it were designed by Italians but built by the Japanese, I might go for for one of those. But but Mr. Bond enjoyed his Alfa Romeo, which had a very special feature. If you were sitting beside him as a bad guy, and for some reason you decided to ride together, maybe down to the Village Inn Pizza, If the bad guy started acting bad, you could just flip up a button and push it and blow him right through the roof. Like a T-top that would come off and his chair would go shooting out like a rock. I had another car you might be familiar with. There was a Lotus, beautiful Lotus. And it had ski racks on the back so that you could put your skis right there. You could hold them on the back of the car. It was beautiful. Burnt sienna, reddish color with beige leather interior. But you're probably thinking of the uh, white lotus. 
the White Lotus that could become a submarine. That was an unexpected X factor. Pimento and cheese sandwiches came up the other day. I called them pimento and cheese, but have learned that the reality is they're known as pimento cheese. Now eventually, or in the beginning, back long before the six days of the creation of the entire universe, there was pimento, and then they just started putting them in cans. But these pimentos and this cheese, and it was cottage cheese at the time. No one does that anymore. It's become a recipe of the South. No one knows exactly why, but pimento cheese sandwiches and pimento cheese on delicate crackers or whatnot quite a treat. And if you get the spicy jalapeno-flavored pimento cheese, mm, so good. But I did not realize that it was uh, anything other than pimento and cheese. Now, is that important? It's hard to say, but it might be the difference between this being an interesting article that Woman's Day would publish versus just one of the other articles I send them that they never publish. It's little things like that that, uh, that really pull out the differences here. And I do have to run, unfortunately. But one X factor feature for you to keep in mind. Most jars of pickles come with a lot of pickle juice. Now, pickle juice is free. Don't forget to uh, save it, drink it, use it as lubrication, or simply mouthwash. It's, uh, I've heard it's good for you. So pickles, don't forget the brine. Okay, friends, back to you, Brett. Tasty. And the pickles are tasty, too. But yes, they, they, now we've got the feel of the X Factor. That little, the pimento in the cheese. Yes, young Brett. Oh, man, I like that Chad calls me Brett. Uh, I, I don't know why. But this whole thing with the name and am I PQ? Am I Brett? Am I some hybrid? I'm PQ and I'm Brett at the same time. It's hard to say. But as a young Brett, uh, there was the American cheese that was served to me in the slices. And one day... It had these little red dots in them. And this was disturbing. This was a bad X factor because I think it made me leery of cheese and changes in cheese at a very young age. I mean, that used to be my favorite thing before it came in individual slices and was sort of this slab that you would carefully peel the slices from. Oh, yes, back in the olden days when food was... Um, Harder to handle. First, I don't know. I don't remember it being... Well, I guess, yeah. It was like that roll of tape where, you know, the packing tape, and it's gotten taped all together into this hoop, and you can't even find, much less begin, to peel the end of the tape in any organized fashion. Yeah, that sort of thing. 
But yet, cheese used to come like that before they came up with this clever way of individually wrapped slices. Uh, and, and I think they've gotten back to, because, hey, that's got to be expensive. It's like hand wrapping or something. We don't do these things anymore. And, and that all-you-can-eat factor, yeah, that was a big X factor. And I don't think they do it too much anymore. I think like all of the buffets, uh, COVID kind of shut those down. And I don't know, some of them I'm sure reopened, but I think a lot of them. There are still people who are disease and germ conscious who are simply not, even if you put the infamous sneeze guard over their food. They're not going to do that. They're going to trust the people sneezing in the kitchen where they can't imagine such things would happen. And I guess there's less people in a kitchen. I don't know. But yes, even in my head, somehow something coming out of the kitchen seems safer, more secure than, you know, you're looking around at all the people and did they watch the people not washing their hands? I used to be one of those people. But yes, clean hands, especially when you're handling food that you're going to eat or anybody else is going to eat, seems to be an important thing. Uh, as much as some say, oh, well, you need some germs, it builds up your immunity, who knows? Maybe I, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say. You may be able to imagine and follow the train of thought that was uh, disembarking from the station and held back because it just, you can't, you can't go talking like that and scaring people anymore. And speaking of trains, those 747s were like, the in my head as a kid, they were like the luxury train. Yes, you just kind of laid down and went to sleep. And it was a pleasant, smooth, luxurious ride, not being cramped in to these, well, now, I mean, it's the sardine can for air travel for most of us. Um, I don't know, is even first class less luxurious than it used to be? I have never traveled first class. A couple times I kind of peeked in there, but I don't think that it would be nice. But right now, yes, there are places that I want to and I am going to fly, but I expect to be jammed in quite like a sardine and be thankful that I am at least slender, although being long and tall. Yeah, if they could fit, there's an X factor. If they could figure out a way for uh, buses, uh, passenger things where a tall person can somehow sleep without being curled up in a ball, which, I don't know, some of us can do that and some of us can't. I, I, I'm getting better at it as I get older, oddly. Maybe it's because of the shrinkage. You know, they say as we get older, we get smaller. But the 747s were the super train. And, and there was another X factor. They thought that TV show, have you ever heard of the super train? We've talked about it here on the Overnightscape Underground. That in that magic year, I think it was 1976, when a new exec took over NBC and came out with all of these amazing, new, heavily promoted shows like Super Train. And Super Train was this ultra, super fast, 
luxury train, and they told the stories. It was sort of like that grand hotel or even the love boat where you got a bunch of different stories going on that would resolve by the end and some of these people would interact and just the frisson of that. And, but the show did not do well and it cost a lot of money for they built these amazing sets of this super train. And I'm sure the inspiration was this idea of a new frontier in travel that was, I guess, kind of crushed by all the fuel crises. I mean, you can't just keep making these bigger and more fuel using. I mean, cars were getting those Cadillacs in the mid 70s. We were all just like guzzling gasoline because it was going to be more and more coming out of the ground forever. The entire earth is hollow and full of wonderful crude oil, which who knows? I'm not even getting into uh, the planet and the dirt and the pollution and what we are going to inevitably have to do to produce even enough electricity to run these gaming computers and equipment and our giant... Well, actually, I think those big screen TVs, even the big ones, use a lot less than those picture tubes used to. I mean, those things used to throw some heat, and the back of the TV was kind of like a little fireplace, as I recall, and a lot of things are like that, but the world changes, and that is the magic X factor. What will be popular next year? Uh, what will happen? I talk about X factor, our elections, uh, especially since, what, 2016? You want to talk about X factors. I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but you follow what I mean. And uh, Chad did it again in a few minutes. And uh, now what a lot of you, I think, are waiting for, aside from those who like to hear me digress and drivel with no particular focus, which I'm apparently very good at, I get better and better as I get older and more, I don't know, a little senile dementia goes a long way. Uh, talk about an X factor. Um, Gilbert Gottfried, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, but he had, before his death, which, boy, that kind of shocked me. I kind of thought he was going to be around for a lot longer. He was doing a amazing, colossal podcast, and he would get all of these people that, like the appreciate the people the appreciator appreciates Sid and Marty Croft, Dick Van Dyke, uh, Marty Allen, all of these people who were all over television and media back in the day and are now sort of forgotten, obscure, and get them to tell all of these anecdotes and stories about their careers, the people they interacted with the time they met Elvis or the Beatles, um, how TV worked back then, all the variety shows. It, it was just, and still is, you can find all the old shows. There are a lot of them on uh, YouTube. And it's just a delicious mind peel of memories and characters. I mean, Paul Lind stories and stories of Danny Thomas, all of these people who 
uh, no doubt are well on their way to total obscurity in the future. And yeah, including me. I don't think, well, not that I was ever unobscure because I am not a celebrity, an unsug celebrity, so to speak. And, and yeah, that I love, this is why when Shambles Constant is doing these shows on the old Doctor Who's, how many people who watch Doctor Who now, when it surfaces, it's not particularly regular anymore as far as I can see. In fact, it died again and now they're bringing it back once more. But how many of those people will ever even watch a Tom Baker episode, which is some time away, much less Patrick Troughton or my favorite, William Hartnell or John Pertwee. These guys, to me, they're the, the real doc. They're all real Doctor Who's, let's face it. I mean, it's like uh, I've been watching Deep Space Nine and I'm finally reaching the final season. And let me tell you, as far as the way it was written and presented, so far of all the series I've seen in the Star Trek canon, this is my favorite by far because it tells the stories move on. People die, people change, things shift. Unlike the standard rubber stamp, the character has to remain that same person over years and years. I, I really dig what they did with Deep Space Nine. And on an episode recently, I mean, certain little guest stars pop up, but there he was. Lost in Space's Will Robinson, Bill Moomy is in one of the uh, last season episodes, season seven, as uh, just a space engineer who, I'm not going to spoil what happens to him or what happens with him, but I'm watching a Star Trek show, and there's this grown-up, Will Robinson. I mean, it would have been interesting if they played him up. That would that would make a great crossover if they would uh, get out of this continuity and scientifically accurate Somehow or other, the lost in space people meeting the Star Trek people. Oh, the mind boggles. That would be a crazy X factor. And it's like what Jerry Lewis said about his meeting with Dean Martin and what happened. He called it, they caught lightning in a bottle. And that's really what it is. Lightning in a bottle, something that people will just want to look at and see and watch and hear, whatever the uh, medium you're working in. And that lightning in a bottle just doesn't happen like it used to anymore, I don't think. That's, I don't know. Are, are there any younger people out there who can point out some of the new pop culture that I'm missing? I mean, I like American Horror Story. Those are just splendid. And there are certain shows, but they're not Twin Peaks. I mean, to me, Twin Peaks was the last super lightning-in-a-bottle TV show for my sensibilities. I'm sure there are ones after that that have captured others' attention and fascination. But to me, that, that Twin Peaks stuff was just so cool 
Oh, man. Anyways, uh, let us move forward and uh, check out what Frank Edward Nora, the Rampler, will rample as we talk about the X Factor. Clara Bow was the it girl, right? Uh, she Because she had it, right? She just had this indescribable quality that you can't really define, but she just has it. She's the it girl, right? And that was sort of, she was, the, I guess, the first it girl because she was in a movie called It. I think it was called It, right? Or It the It Girl, um, which I actually saw. It was a silent movie starring Clara Bow and uh, from the, what, the 1920s at some point. And, uh, and that's in the movie. She's, she uh, works at a department store, but someone sees her, oh, she has it. So it really is like an X factor kind of thing in terms of this indescribable quality. She has something, yet you can't really define it. You can't put it into words exactly, but she just has it, right? So then she became known as the It Girl, both because she was in the movie It and because she had it, you know. And then there were, I guess, that has been a persistent phrase, the, an It Girl. But I don't know if there's It Boys, only It Girls uh, that, that, that are sort of of the moment, that have this uh, this quality that stands out in whatever historical period they're living in. Like I would say, for example, probably like Jane Asher was an it girl in uh, Swinging London in the 60s. Look at this rain. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of, what is this, uh, Tropical Storm Ophelia, I think. Sitting here on my porch in Nutley, New Jersey, and it's just been raining all day. We were going to have a flea market, not a flea market, uh, there was a town-wide garage sale related to a flea market. That was completely canceled because of this uh, two-day storm here. But yeah, it's quite quite rainy, and a bit windy, uh, and a bit chilly out here. So, anyway, the X factor. Thank you, PQ, so much for uh, indulging my uh, my my whimsical request that we have a a, to- a topic on the central starting with X and Z, which hopefully is coming soon. Just so you can complete all the letters of the alphabet. We have Q, right? There's only one Q. I forget what it was, but we have a Q. We have everything else. We have numbers. We have everything. But we need X and Z. Yeah, the X factor. I had to, I had to look, I look it up. Like the, the phrase itself is uh, derived from the algebra, right? That um, In algebra, you use X as the unknown. So you might say, uh, you know, 2X equals 6, right? And that might be an algebra pro- problem you would have in school. And then, you know, you could just sort of figure it out. It's X equals three, right? You know, but there's other ways of doing it. Like, uh, you know, what is it? It's like sort of X equals uh, sort of 2X divided by two, right? Divide both by two. Forget exactly how you do it. But anyway, so it's from the algebra. and And one source said that the use of the term the X factor as describing a special quality about something that's hard to sort of pin down is uh, attested to from the 1930s. But it really is a phrase that's needed because in our realm of human experience there's uh, this aspects of perception that uh, sort of defy definition, right? We, We perceive aesthetically at, at such fine details. There are certain things that um, 
it's hard to put into words and you you're perceiving it but you you can't really say what it is right now um there was a TV show called The X Factor and I have to admit I knew it was one of those competition shows kind of like American Idol but I had sort of completely forgotten the specifics of it because I used to watch those kind of shows I watched American Idol for a while and I also watched America's Got Talent, which I know all of these shows are sort of start in Britain. I, American Idol was Pop Idol, and then America's Got Talent was uh, spun off from Britain's Got Talent. But then there was The X Factor, which apparently was put together by the same people that, that, that made American Idol. And I think the reason I had a hard time remembering it, because it's still going in Britain apparently, but in the U.S. it only aired uh, from 2011 to 2013. And I'm trying to, I don't remember the specific, what made it different. Actually, let me look it up because this is going to bother me. Because if you search X Factor, you're going to find that TV show more than anything now, right? By the way, I don't watch those kind of shows anymore. It it was not like a conscious decision. It just after a while, I just couldn't take it anymore. They were just the same sob stories. It's not like, hey, it's a good singer. Oh, my God, their whole family was killed, you know, by an axe murderer. And they were living with all these diseases like it's it was this endless string of sob stories that were over dramatized instead of the person's talent you had to hear about all, all you know you know their, their their life disasters and i think i understand that it's a human interest thing which it, you get pulled in the first few times but when they tell the same story over and over again they're choosing these people because their lives their lives suck not because they're a good singer you know that was one of the one of the factors as to why i stopped watching those shows uh, I paused there and looked it up. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's not like uh, America's Got, Got Talent, which was kind of like any kind of performance was was okay. I think it was a singing competition, a lot like American Idol, but I think X Factor more like uh, the the judges would become the mentors or something. I, I don't. I actually don't remember. I, I think I watched all three seasons. That was around the time I was watching a lot of it. I'm sure. I do com- comment on it on the Overnight Escape uh, on X Factor when I was watching it. That's a long time ago now, though. That is 10 to 12 years ago now. So, anyway. There also was a comic book called X Factor. I remember I was big in the comics in 86 when it came out. It was, um, the X Factor was, you know, an X-Men book. And, it, and I believe the first team was made up of the original five X-Men, so... Cyclops, Jean Grey, I- Iceman, Beast, and uh, Angel, who may have been Archangel at the time. Uh, I don't know if uh, Jean Grey was going by Ms. Marvel at that time, but I think she eventually just became known as Jean Grey. Or Phoenix at one point. She was Phoenix, yeah. I just remember, like, it just, I don't think it was very good. I don't know. Because I was like a Marvel zombie. I had to get every Marvel comic book that was out there. So I had to get X Factor, but I remember it wasn't that good. <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like the X Factor, as we're talking about it as a perception, is something that certainly relates to the the means by which we perceive, which is a topic I'm very very interested in, which is, um, you know. The myst- first of all, the mystery of consciousness, which we don't need to get deeply into here. I just saw an article that there's this new consciousness theory 
that's become controversial in scientific circles. I think it's fair to say that when it comes to consciousness or this, the sense that you're observing your, the life of the person that you are, um, I think it's fair to say that science has no idea what it is, how it works, or anything. Um, it's just something that transcends the tools of science currently, right? I mean, science is something that can do a lot, but if it can't get at something to measure it or to properly observe it, it can't really... It, it, it's outside the scope of, of science. I think consciousness is one thing. And perception is very closely tied to consciousness. So when you look at something and, wow, it has that X factor, uh, right... I think I talked about this when Get Philosophical a few weeks ago, the idea of, you know, can can there be a consciousness without anything to... Or there can, can there be a uh, an observer without anything to observe, right? The idea is that if you're observing something, could you just be observing complete nothingness, right? It would seem that something... There has to be some kind of quality or texture or information in order to observe, Right? So consciousness, uh, uh, the right observing or consciousness, and then what is observed, right, are sort of inch, they're linked, right. One cannot exist without the other, right. That's why. Last time when I was talking about this topic, I was the big question is, can they be two separate things, or are they necessarily two aspects of one thing, right? The observer and what is being observed. Could the observer be a thing and then what's being observed like a separate thing that are somehow being connected? Or are they just the same different aspects of the same thing? So I think it's kind of essential to go down this road in order to sort of investigate the X factor. So we know we have the five physical senses. So sight, right, you're getting a uh, visual essentially a two-dimensional visual scan, but you have two eyes, so there's slightly different views, and that sort of interpolates into a three-dimensional image. But we're still seeing two two-dimensional images, right, that um, right, seem to relate to the objects that are around us and light reflecting off them. Somehow, right, this overview image we get, which is this kind of the same image. You can actually make a little pinhole in a piece of paper and produce sort of a, an image of something, right? Like a, the old pinhole cameras uh, can, and our actual cameras and video recorders and everything are doing kind of the same thing as our eyes are doing, right? So it's the idea of sort of a, extracting kind of a two-dimensional image from the stuff that's around you, right? But that's not all that it is. The visual field that we experience or perceive is that the two two-dimensional uh, images and then the mat maddening aspect of peripheral vision which is kind of hard to figure out uh, but then meaning is overlaid on all of the things right like I'm just sort of where I'm sitting here looking out at the rain this rainy afternoon see a lot of trees see some cars bumper stickers bags of leaves there's my car, potted plants, chairs, down the street over there, right? 
sidewalks, right? Walkways, rocks, you know. Um, so sort of seamlessly, the, the visual is overlaid with uh, meaning. And what does that even what does that even mean? How can you overlay an image with meaning, right? And that's very hard to like. We experience it all the time, and yet, what is what? In what form is the meaning being delivered? Now, I know different ways of approaching this. You might say that um, the brain as a has a pattern matching uh, algorithm type of system. So, if I see, oh, there's a car over there, I have in my memory banks kind of a the idea of a car, an automobile, and uh, you know, looking at these patterns. The brain's able to suss out, oh, that's a car over there because of, uh, you know, it has four wheels and two light, you know, headlights and windows and stuff. It's a car, damn it, you know. There was that uh, photo going around the Internet a couple years ago where on first glance it looks like you're just looking at a bunch of objects that are in a room. But when you look at it, Absolutely nothing is identifiable. I think it was created with a, a, uh, AI, or one of those early AI uh, um, image systems. And it's kind of maddening because you're looking at this and you're struggling to find meaning in it. You're struggling to find those overlays of meaning. But there's nothing there. So that's kind of an interesting tool to approach this problem. So pattern recognition, right? A computer can do it. The brain's a computer. Could the com brain be doing it? So we have the actual image, which is we're perceiving it. The eye is uh, receiving the light, and then there's receptors in the back of the eye. And then it's being processed by the brain to find patterns and identify aspects of it. And then not only is the image delivered to the observer, but also uh, an overlay of meaning. In fact, layers of meaning, because what I'm looking at right now, as I, as I say so often, is like li literally millions of things, if you count all the little leaves and blades of grass and all the contours of everything, and yet I'm experiencing it as a single visual um, delivery with meaning overlaid on everything. I don't have to think about, oh, th oh that's a light. That's a railing. That's a potted plant. Like, I don't, it just, it's all there, right? But how <laughs> is the question. What is the nature of the delivery? I, I, I understand that the brain as a computer has processed all the information and is now packaged it up and ready to deliver it. How? <laughs> you know? That right there is an X-Factor kind of thing, in a way. And then something happens, and then you perceive it. It's just as something as simple as looking around is completely mysterious. How the heck is, is that final stage of delivery uh, achieved? Yeah, so maybe it's packaged up as electrical signals. What? Electrical signals? Just like... Yeah? How does that turn into this? Well, we know that, digitally speaking, 
you know, visual images and sounds and everything can be t delivered using binary ones and zeros, right? But I guess what I'm getting at, and I can't even really fully form the question, however this information is obviously is being processed in some way, how does it get to the observer, right? And I think that it feels like this disconnect, thinking about it, if, if the observer is separate, I think that the observer and all the stuff being observed seems to kind of have to be part of one thing. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, that's what I'm sort of getting hung up on. How could there be a delivery? I guess you could say wherever the observer is, an electrical signal is sent, right? Waves of information are sent. Oh, it's so maddening to think about. So let's talk about the other senses. We have hearing, of course. You're hearing me now speak. So you can hear sounds that are just sort of random, like... Like weird random sounds that wouldn't have any meaning associated with them. But me speaking, making these particular sounds, if you can speak English and understand uh, English, then you're hearing these... You're hearing these sounds... But then there's meaning overlaid on that as well, right? And you know that, like, for example, like when you're listening to something and then you focus your attention somewhere else, you're still kind of hearing it, but you're not processing the meaning because you're not really paying attention, right? I think in, when it comes to language, spoken language, the, um, the, the sense of understanding and even though the sounds I'm making are kind of arbitrary, as, you know, there's so many other languages where you could s convey s the almost exactly the same ideas using different languages, but this overlay of meaning on the, uh, the audio uh, is, right, is, is, is perhaps a more clearer example of this overlay of meaning in the signal that you're then experiencing, right? And we have uh, smell and taste, which are both uh, rather uh, uh, connected Right, I'm smoking a pipe right now, tasting and smelling the uh, pipe tobacco, and of course there's meaning overlaid on taste and smells as well. And then of course we have touch, which is uh, sensations from our, you know, our body. Uh, you know, from this, you know, you can use your skin to touch things. It has a great deal of sensors to feel textures, and <coughs> you know, you can feel weights and all sorts of things and then I guess the, you know the feelings from inside your body such as you know a stomach ache a headache or feeling different things inside your body you know when you get those gas pains it's rather maddening various pains of course the human body is a little very painful and at many levels but then that's not all there's five five senses they say but then there's more. I know we could talk about the sixth sense, uh, psychic perceptions, and uh, that is part of like the the world, the inside world of the mind, right? Where in our mind we can, um, it's not exactly the same as the five physical senses. What the hell's going on here? There's someone with a really messed up car pulling up in front of my house. Uh. I don't know. I think they're going to be delivering something, possibly. 
but the windows are all covered with like plastic sheets. Hmm. What is going on here? I don't know. Because like now, just like regular people in regular cars are delivering packages for Amazon and stuff. It could be a food delivery as well, I suppose. Let's, let's see what it's going to be. Ah, yes, I think it's for me. Oh, it's a food delivery. Hello, thank you. Yeah. Pizza nada? Yeah. Thank you. Yep, have a great day. Yes, it was a food delivery. So the world of the mind, right, it's your thoughts and your perceptions. We're talking about memories, visions, dreams, right? This this is a this is you know, it's so weird that they they is there a sixth sense? Well, this internal thing which you're perceiving things that are not directly coming from the five senses uh is absolutely real, right? It's the question is, I mean, when it comes to psychic phenomena, is there any information coming from outside your mind? Right. Or is it all sort of inside? Right. So, right. Essentially, inside your mind, you have kind of a, a copy of the outside world, right? You can imagine imagination, right? You can sort of imagine other people, other places that you're not in at the moment. You can remember things. You can come up with new ideas. Uh, you can remember tastes and smells and sights and sounds and feelings and touches um right it's this it's a, a remarkable aspect of the human existence is this interior perceptions right the mind in the mind and this is where another class of perceptions such as thirst hunger lust right tiredness those kind of things uh, kind of exist in that in the mind as well, in a way, but one thing uh, I've noticed is, you know, I, I do crack my knuckles, and I don't know, that's also kind of a serious phenomenon, but somehow I, I know when the, it needs to, when a, a joint needs to be cracked, <laughs> but I don't know how I know, right? It's just sort of like, it's a slight sensation, um, sort of pinpointing an area, but it's very vague. So... All of this stuff that we're talking about, I think, is essential if you want to understand, if you want to try to investigate the, the, the world around us, because that we're observing and having this experience is the only thing we can know for sure, right? Anything else we can't really know for sure. Um, any scientific truths out there uh, could could be are all the result of human perception and reasoning and record keeping and measurement and things like that um, there could be no truth behind it at all but the experience of it is uh, is something that we know exists the experience having an experience is the only thing we know that we can really know right because everything else could just be could be an illusion. We could be living in a computer program. We could be, you know, uh, 
figments of someone else's imagination. Right? It could be any of these kind of things, but we know that we're having an experience. What's that sound? Is it a is it cat meowing or what the hell is it? Did you hear that? Hmm. I don't know. I'm having trouble pin. Oh, maybe it's a little kid screaming across the street. I don't know. Anyway, um, so these sort of X fact, these that sort of it factor or X factor is something that we sort of perceive, but it's sort of like hunger or thirst or lust or tiredness or things like that. It's something that it's it's definitely there, but it's it's we know those things relate to um, you know needs of the body or of the society or whatever, but this X factor is something that is a, akin to those sorts of perceptions, but it just is a sense that something is special. It's a, it, There's a sense that something has that extra quality to it, right? And this can be anywhere. I mean, I feel like uh, for me, X factor comes a lot in terms of um, you know, first of all, like visuals, like graphic design. I'm very sensitive to fonts and graphic design. And sometimes when I see a particular design, like especially like old magazine covers or things like that, magazine articles and ads, some of them strike me as being extra special. They have a certain quality to them that has that X factor, right? One thing for me that has that X factor, and this is, I think, you know, you could say nostalgia is a part of it, but... Um, like I used to growing up, we went to uh, Walt Disney World in Florida many times, and so there was a quality to to Disney World. It's mostly like in the '70s and early '80s that is just so imbued with the X factor that I've been sort of chasing after it ever since, like um, trying to recapture it in a way. You know, like uh, I've always wanted to get like sort of a a piece of one of those rides, you know, like Horizons in Epcot Center. I think the last time I had a realistic chance at it, there was a, a helicopter from uh, the future from the 50s scene, but it was go- it went for like thousands of dollars. I did get uh, one of the prints from the uh, contemporary hotel room, the, the Mary Blair, that's her name, uh, in, the, the little Indians and animals prints to sort of recapture that. But there's a certain... I, I, I can form it in my mind of ex- the experience of that X factor, but I can't really describe it. It's it's just that, um, and I know when you talk about Disney these days, it's so charged with uh, such negativity at so many levels that the Disney company has become. But I'm talking about the theme park division in the past, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, was a very different thing. And uh, so, just remembering, like staying at the Contemporary Resort Hotel, taking the mono the monorail going through the the building and going over to the Magic Kingdom and right going to all the different lands and stuff. I'm experiencing this X factor perception, but you're probably not because unless you know what I'm talking about, because you probably 
thank God Disney sucks. I get it, but that's like one X factor thing for me. And then, um, of course, perhaps related, you know, like um, video game arcades uh, from, again, that same time period, 70s into the 80s. Um, there's something about every, everything about video game arcades, the arcade cabinets themselves, the darkened interiors, the, even the carpeting they used and the sights and the smells. Something about the arc that definitely has a huge X factor for me, reminiscing and thinking about not just those but home video games as well. Looking at the old Atari cartridge box art and stuff, it's total X factor. So, and then of course, a big one for me is um, you know shopping malls, which I think all of these are are related. I think the Disney World, the shopping mall, the arcade—they're all these sort of places that you are inside of that are. It's kind of an artificial world, right? that's been created and so theme parks and shopping malls definitely have a lot in common i would say video game arcades are are kind of similar it's it's a temporary artificial world that you inhabit right um and it's there's something i think one of the greatest x factors for me is um the dead mall con the dead mall concept which is has been somewhat defined as the term liminal but I think liminal, like I, I tried to join a Facebook group that showed liminal images, but the entire group was just arguing what's liminal and what's not. So I posted one image there that I thought was 100% liminal, and people were like, is this really liminal? It looks, no, it's that, that. So I just, I, I left that group. I'm like, we don't need to worry about that. These jerks just, just like, it's, it is or it isn't. Listen, I don't care what liminal is. I, liminal is. I'm looking. There's a certain X factor, and this is a pure X factor kind of thing because when I when I perceive an image, or even when I'm at like a a, a, a dead or a, a dead malls are like the most extreme form of this of perception. Um, I know what I'm feeling. I can't share the feeling with anyone else, but I know what I'm feeling. And it's it's an, it could just describe it as indescribably beautiful, engaging. Um, it's and beyond any kind of words, it's just this X factor sensation. Um, e- but even like going to some malls that are dead or dying, and especially like uh, you know the end of one section of a mall where it used to be the entrance to like a Lord and Taylor or a Sears or or, or J C Penney or something, and now it's just sealed off. There's something indescribable X factor of that liminal perception of that that uh, to me that's the that's the most perhaps the most intense uh, x factor uh that i can I, I can talk about is is this like the dead dead malls or even like looking at images of live very thriving malls but from um you know like the 60s 70s 80s even 90s to some extent it feels like uh some of this stuff kind of um, is not as intense for me when it when, once you get to like the 2000s. Like uh, there's a book I bought, uh, PQ, when I was out there in New Mexico the, uh, about neon, uh, it, all sorts of different uses of neon, especially in, uh, in installations, in buildings and stuff, interiors. I think that was from 93. <laughs> 93 is a very X-factor year for me. Anything from 93, it keeps coming up again and again. Um, seeing sort of like 
um, you know, an indoor, like a, like, like, like a, a, a restaurant that used this in, uh, neon interior to, to accent their interiors and looking at a picture of it in a book, such gives me that feeling. And there was another book I bought recently though about, uh, lighting design. Remember that's the one I saw at the bookstore. I didn't buy it at the time. And, uh, Strand Books in New York City. Then I ordered it online. I'm so happy I did because it's such a great book. But looking at those images just gives me that X-factor feeling. Why, though? Now, I know you could say that I was a certain age when I was uh, surrounded by the sights and sounds of these artificial worlds, theme parks, shopping malls, arcades, what have you. And... um, I became very I could could you say that uh, our perceptions of things change as we get older and in fact um, there's this I I need to research this more but there's this idea that um, the human brain uh, continues to sort of grow and and um, Mature up until around the age of 25, so to speak, right? 25 or 26, I think. And then it finally kind of reaches this plateau. So you might say that um, perceptions that you, you had, things that you were perceiving from childhood into that, up until that mid-20s, will have this special perception for you as you move forward because you can't really perceive it directly anymore. You have to go through the lens of the past, right? So what year was I 26? Let's do a quick calculation here. Well, as it turns out, that's 1993. <laughs> that's what I would see. That is, I, I never really put two and two together before. It's 93 when I was 26. So maybe that was like when that subtle change happens in your brain. Also, you can say, you know, so many creative people seem to be most productive in that before they hit the mid-20s, from music to illustration to what have you, it seems that there's a particular uh, period of uh, ability or perception that changes a little bit. But you still have the memories of that stuff, but you're not able to directly perceive stuff, or you're perceiving it through the lens of the past. That is, when I'm in a shopping mall, a, a dead mall now, and it has that indescribably beautiful quality to it, Am I am I perceiving it through the memories of how I perceived it when I was younger? See, as to why dead malls are so beautiful, I think a world, an artificial environment like a shopping mall, has this uh, surreal quality to it anyway, because it's like the real world, but it's also not like the real world. It's sort of a an abstracted form of the real world, kind of like. A main street, I think they call them high streets in Britain, where where you would have stores lining up on either side, and then recreated in a shopping mall as this enclosed space, right? Theme parks as well, sort of uh, creating environments that have aspects of things in the real world, so already kind of different and special. And then you add in as it's sort of fading away or dying and. Right, so it's this artificial world that is sort of shutting down and everything is uh, closed and sad and dark. Why would that be beautiful? 
I can't explain it. That, that is a pure, pure X factor. Also, like in music, right, I'm always li- trying to listen to new music, and there's a certain X factor in so much music, but especially like one thing I, is uh, the uh, rave music from Britain from uh, sur- around 1990, the few years before and after 1990, has a very spe- has a huge X factor for me. Um, and uh, the song I, I shared a song with PQ uh, um, from Indo Tribe. The song's called Owl. I can see you mix, which I think is the perfect representation of this concept of a huge X Factor song for me. And there's a version, and Indo Tribe, by the way, is another name for Future Sound of London or Amorphous Androgynous. So those guys, you know, they have so many different names. But um, there's one version that has a, a, a rap part that is very hard to find. Step to me and feel mind flip as I let rip with the industrial tip. Do, 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 right? That has a huge X factor for me. And I guess you can say that when it comes to other people, this goes back to the original idea of the it girl. Like, you know, th- when you're attracted to someone, there's this X factor thing going on where, right, um, it's more than, it's more than just, uh, finding something pleasing it's more than just pure lust it's this uh, it is like another X factor thing it's, it's, it's impossible to put into words but I, we all know that when we are, see someone that we feel like a special attraction to or whatever it's this X factor kind of thing going on so some of the perceptions that we have seem to be more concrete. Like, I see a chair here, and if I reach out and touch it, I feel the chair. It's a chair, damn it. It's a chair, right? But other perceptions, um, we can perceive it, and it's it's usually, I mean, is it usually, is there like a negative X factor? Or is it usually something very positive, like a, That's a good question. I don't know if there's like, obviously there's things that we perceive that we are like, oh, we hate that stuff. I, you know, so that, that's not good, you know. <laughs> like, you know, and any whiff of like multi-level marketing and anything, I guess that's like a negative X factor. I'm like, no, stay away, stay away. Um, but yeah, it's usually something more more positive. And it's it's one of those things. Can you imagine life as a human without that X factor? The X factor, I think, is add so much magic to the world without it it would be very boring but I do think that um, we do spend a lot of time sort of chasing after this I think when it comes to uh, person like being a creative person I know that you're we're always kind of imagining chasing after that X factor in works that we can create and hoping to sort of create something with an X factor in a way right and I know that drives so many people creatively, especially if you sort of see someone else doing something. You're like, I, I can do something like that, too, that has this X factor to it. Um, yeah, like, uh, what was I listening to recently? Um, yeah, Mahavishnu Orchestra. That sort of comes up a lot. Because when I was, when I found that re- those records, um, 
Birds of Fire and Visions of the Emerald Beyond, which were two different versions of the group, but um, at the county library when I was a teenager and listened to them without having any background in any kind of ro- jazz rock fusion. It was, it blew, you know, you could say it blew my mind. It's like it, it, it was X Factor times a million, you know, that, that there could be music like this, right? Um, but I think that people that have musical ability, they hear, and then they want to produce something that has that same factor, that same quality to it. And I know that, you know, like last time I was talking about sort of, you know, uh, I talked about sort of struggling with an idea of this kind of radio broadcast concept. And that totally is an X Factor kind of thing where in my mind it has this special quality, but I can never quite define it. I can never quite figure it out. But it still drives me, you know. Even today I was thinking about another aspect of of the idea. Um, It's um, it's like uh, the idea of could you do something like a radio station but only composed of like song length clips, right? And so you could sort of release it as like albums on uh, the, the the music services. But it'd be sort of a spoken word. See, in my mind, there's that X factor is so apparent. But trying to put it into words, it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like anything important. But I'm still chasing after it. And I suppose when you talk about chasing after something, I've heard that people who take certain drugs or narcotics, the first time they took it, it had this incredible quality, and then they can never find that again. Now, I've, I've never really been into that aspect. of I don't know why. How, how did I not get into drugs? I don't know. I just never did. Though the Delta 9 gummies are good. Sort of getting into that slightly. And a pipe, smoking pipe tobacco, it's a drug. Caffeine's a drug. Nicotine's a drug. Those drugs are legal. Yes. Quoting from Twin Peaks, Firewalk With Me. I think that's also from 93. Anyways, 93 is the X Factor year. Back to you, PQ. Yeah, that magic of coming to know the unknown. I mean, like Clara Bow, like you said, the It Girl. I'm back then just hearing about her and then seeing her maybe there was some yep there's some undefinable wonderful thing and that and also that it could be something just that I'm not sure but usually you know like math X's were always what you don't know you're asking me you know so why are you asking me I just Algebra kind of fascinated me as a kid, but I took a long time to really get a grip on that thing, that algebra and playing with... I'm not a number head by any stretch of the imagination. And that X Factor comic, oh boy. I've just... I don't know. I love the original X-Men, but as soon as there were just more and more and more mutants... Like anything else, the X Factor was the magic of these mutants. And then all of a sudden, everybody and their brother and their cousin and this guy over here and there's 24 mutant teams and new mutants and baby mutants. It's just okay. There's nothing special here anymore. We're just belaboring a point for the sake of marketing 
and strategy or something. Um, I don't know. And, and the idea of pattern recognition, yeah, something that teaches us a new pattern that our brain can take on, like you say. I think you caught up with the basics, Frank, of what makes nostalgia here. And, and this is something that bears some more examination, perhaps during this week's exit ramp. If I join us, I'll remember. But if not, um, yes, there is something about certain ages and up to a certain age that these are the things that create a template in our head and then things that remind us of that become very magical and alluring. And the whole, yes, Disney and the aesthetics. I never got to go to Disneyland or Disney World or Epcot, but the pictures and the depictions of it that this is a magical thing in my head and that it's changed so much. I don't know. It doesn't make it alluring for me to go there now in 2023, but I think they take a lot of crap. I mean, I saw recently uh, their new feature, the elemental or elementals, which is about um, a guy who's made of water falling in love with a woman who is from the fire people, and of course you can extrapolate the rest. But still, it's that time-honored story, and it's being told for, I guess, the aesthetic of today's people. But I didn't find anything particularly offensive. I mean, some people, just anything that challenges the status quo in their head is suddenly, like, bad. No, I don't think in years to come, although I could be wrong, the next generation could remember this and find this very important and integral to their coming up and an important film that they'll want to show their kids. Um, just because I was exposed to people who saw like Snow White and Pinocchio and those early ones, with it's just a different thing. And once again, it's the patterns that get into somebody's head at a certain age or time that will resonate, it would seem, for the rest of our lives. I mean, the knuckles cracking. That was, I don't know, I, I wound up, my grandmother used to warn me and I finally quit cracking my knuckles because it was going to give me arthritis. And yes, I wound up with arthritis in my hands. Every doctor I speak to says that's just coincidence. One thing has nothing to do with the other. And I don't know whether there's been a scientific study or what goes on with the cracking of the knuckles, but that used to be a fixation. Just uh, kind of, I don't know, a, a little digression there. And then a lot of things, yeah, like when the food will come is an X factor. You order food. And you start getting, should I have a little snack now? Will it spoil my appetite? The second I have something else, is that when the food? Yeah, all of these X factors in our life. And if you've got some X factors, by all means, you should do a follow-up. And um, next week, because we've never had a show subject on the Overnightscape Central, uh, beginning with a Z, I've got one. But first, I definitely want to make sure to thank the amazing Doc Slees, 
Chad Bowers, and Frank Edward Nora, sort of the core of the Overnightscape Central as it stands now, and you should join us. You can be part of this core. You can steer this show in a direction that it hasn't gone before, or, I mean, really, if you've got anything to comment on what we've said or the topic I'm about to give you, peak some even small. I mean, you don't have to talk forever. Five minutes, ten minutes, one minute. Write an email and let me read what you say in the body of it here. And that makes you one of the participants, one of the many notable and appreciated people who join us here on the Overnightscape Central. And even if you just want to listen, keep listening, because who knows where this show will go uh, if it continues. We're still, I'm still of a mind that let's just wait and see. I mean, we're going to hit our 12th year. Let's do that. And uh, 13 years? My 12th year. Something like that. But me and time are starting to get blurry. Uh, some things that happened in the 70s and 80s feel like they just happened. And things that happened just a week ago, I can't remember for the life of me unless somebody points them out and refreshes some part of my forebrain which is lost in nostalgia. Yeah, that's and that's that. Um, next week on the Overnightscape Central, we're going to talk about zoo. That's right. Um, are they or still going to be zoos? Is this world a zoo? All interesting points, but zoo is the topic. And uh, if you want to add an M at the end and talk about the old PBS show Zoom, I will accept that. But zoo is the basic topic, and how this works. Yes, we'll be moving into October, and the uh, so-called deadline for next week's show is next Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Get it to me by evening time, mountain time out here in New Mexico, and you are assured of participation in the program. And if it's late, it'll be a follow-up on the next week. No, I I've never turned down a submission We've used them all, and we've brought them all to you, and that's part of the magic. You have your say just about no matter what. Nobody has pushed anything to the point of profanity over self-promotion or anything like that. And join us. The email address is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. I repeat, kpqr.torc at gmail.com and remain calm enjoy these shows and remember the big onsug archive where every episode of the overnightscape central and episodes of the chadcast all of doc slee's shows the sleaze cast and more um and the frank edward nora library of the overnightscape the rampler and all of the other um, things that he used to be called the Overnightscape Underground and became the 24-Hour Project and all kinds of other things. This is a growing, continuing experiment in sound, monologue, vlogging kind of, well, not vlogging, um, vlogging. That, that vlogging implies a visual aspect um, but it, it, a diary, a journal, 
of the times and remembering. And me, I'm a nostalgist, and a lot of our hosts are, it seems. And that is part of the key, the popular culture. But there's more. There's the X factor. And with that, thank you so much for listening. You are appreciated by the appreciator. And um, till we meet again, set the controls for the heart of the fun. <laughs>